Welcome to episode 12 of the Travelling Wellness Show. On this episode, I fly down to Sydney to chat with celebrity trainer Shannon Ponton. Let me introduce you to another side of a guy that you think you know. He's a fun, lovable and very authentic bloke who makes it his mission to participate in what he describes as a full life. Not tainted at all by stardom, Shannon epitomises what a fitness professional should be. We discuss Shannon's thoughts on the fitness industry, nutrition, training and the subcultures within. It's a raw and frankly refreshing conversation about life and the various factors which influence it. Please enjoy Shannon Ponton. If this episode resonates with you or is a topic that family or friends would enjoy, please share the link with them. Your support of PSC ensures continued access to guests of this calibre and keeps me on the road to bring you guys the goods. Your support is greatly appreciated. Get comfortable, people. This episode is about to begin. You are listening to Caravan Conversations with Shannon Brenton. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Caravan Conversations is proudly produced by PSE Supplements and explores general health, nutrition and lifestyle with one of Australia's most experienced clinicians. Now, let's get into the show. Well, we're rolling. Welcome everyone to Caravan Conversations. My name's Shannon Brenton, your host and owner of PSE Supplements. And today I'm really happy to bring you a subsection of our podcast series, which is the man behind the brand. And today we're going to peel or critically analyse the life of celebrity trainer, um, fitness trainer Shannon Ponton. Now, unless you've been under a rock for the last nine or ten years, uh, everyone should know Shannon from the TV Channel 10 hit series, The Biggest Loser, where he teams with um, Michelle Bridges and various other trainers to offer people um, with obesity concerns a once-in-a-lifetime transformation to sort of pull themselves back to the, the, the harmonious state we all seek. Um, common friends I have in common have referred to Shannon as a lad and that's certainly um, you know, my, my intention to show you guys today. It's the person that I've met for sure. He's got a really big heart. He's a knockabout bloke from the northern beaches here in Sydney and I'm really happy to introduce you to the lad, Shannon Ponton. Hello mate, how are you going? Very good mate, thank you for your time. I've gone from the lovable Aussie bloke to the lovable Aussie dad lately, it seems. Have you? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about fatherhood, mate. I mean, let's just get straight into it. Um, how's it influenced your life? It's definitely made me change the, the way that I'm living. I mean, before kids, um, uh, I was surfing big waves regularly. We were still riding skateboards. We were still riding BMX bikes and that sort of stuff because I believe in, you know, as an adult, you've still got to have fun. Yeah. And I think the thing that, that you guys will hear today and, and what you've already realised is what you see is what you get on TV. So I'm that bloke. I'm always up for a good time. I'm always ready for some fun. I'm always ready to try something new. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that's part of what gives me the relationship that I have with my kids, you know. Yep. I never, ever wanted to be that dad. On my very first resume, when I first entered the fitness industry at 17, they asked, what was my motivation? And one of my motivating factors was being an active dad by the time I had kids. Uh, mate, I'm 42 now. Yeah. Uh, and every afternoon I'm out with the kids. We're riding a skateboard, BMX bike. My son's three and he can surf already, but just... Really? Not that he's a freak. It's just that he's yeah. been exposed to that since he was young. Mate, you've got, got to come caravanning with me, mate. I, I, I literally spend my days um, either skateboarding, um, scootering or bike riding through, um, through you know, caravan parks and then surfing and standing up paddleboarding with the kids. It's perfect. It's that, <laughs> yeah, well, it is being that role model that you've always wanted to be. Unfortunately, so many people uh, end up as parents and then go, well, here I am. 
I wish I was this role model. I wish I could give my kids more, but never actually do anything yeah. to put the wheels in motion. Do you know, uh, yesterday I did a podcast with uh, the world-acclaimed homeopath, George Dimitriatis, who had a, uh, a very um, similar take to yours. And he said to me, the world is fun, Shannon. People ruin it. You know? 100%. Which was a very, um, a very good outtake, right? Like the world's out there to be had. It's out there to be enjoyed. It's out there just to be, you know, suck the marrow from it, so to speak. It's up to us whether we choose to participate in this fun life that we have and, you know, what we've been blessed with around us and obviously the interconnectedness of each other or whether we choose to, I guess, you know, stick in our sort of dogmatic fear-based reality. Yeah, well, I think, unfortunately, as adults, somewhere along the line, we forget to have fun. Mate, I give my son a stick. He can play with a stick for three hours and giggle and smash his sister over the head with it and throw it at the dog and throw it up a tree and turn it into a gun. And yeah. It's just a stick. It's you simple. Know? It's it? fun. Yeah. And, and you go and have a look at my garage there. There's a, there's a Harley Davidson. There's three surfboards. There's a BMX bike. There's a skateboard. There's a mountain bike all lined up there ready to go. Yeah. Unfortunately, we become victims to time. Yep. My wife thinks I'm a lunatic. I come home from training, I get in and she goes, what are you doing? Oh, well, I've got another meeting in 10 minutes. She goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to skate around the block. Because <laughs> it takes me exactly four and a half minutes to yeah. skate around this block. Yeah. But I've, she goes, you've only got 10 minutes. Well, it only takes me four and a half minutes yeah. to get out and get around the block. You can do two laps. You ask, you ask an adult what they do for fun. Yeah. You ask someone in big business or in... Um, standard day-to-day life what you do for fun and unfortunately a lot of people don't actually know yeah they'll think back to a time at 18 where they say oh you know I was a, a good dancer I was you know used to sing or you know go out playing golf or whatever it was but life just gets in the way mm. and you become a victim to time now I've never been a victim to time because I know that I can skate around the block in seven minutes and there's a difference between something that's enjoyable and fun yeah. Fun gives you tingles in your fingers. Fun yeah. pumps you up. No one's ever come back from having a big hit of fun and gone, oh, I think I might go and have a sleep now. I'm a bit gassed. Because they go, oh, mate, listen, I just went around the block. We cut some mad Zeds down the hill. I nearly stacked it. We missed a car and I'm still here. Happy days. Yeah. And that's fun. Fun yeah, tingles in your fingers. If I ask my wife, Shannon, what does Shannon do for fun? What does she want to say? Oh, Hang out with my, I hang out with my wife and kids. Yeah. Bullshit! Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I do for fun! You know what I do for fun? I go surfing, I go boxing, I ride big waves, yeah. I ride my skateboard, my BMX bike, I go to the pub and talk to my mates about getting tattoos. Yeah, yeah. That's what I do for fun. Yeah, nice. Hanging out with my wife and kids, enjoyable. Yes. But there's a difference. So you're Fun's talking fun. essentially one of your philosophies then, and I guess what you would recommend for our listeners is that they find what it is that blows their skirt up and do it regularly. Yeah, and fi- just remember what it is you do for fun. And so it gives you tingles in your fingers. Mm. Unfortunately, most things that are fun has an element of risk. And that's yep. what makes it exciting because yep. there's an element of failure there. Yep. You know, when I'm riding down the hill now cutting mad Zeds on my skatey at 42 years old, I'm going, well, you know, I could fall off here and graze myself and do an injury and not be able to perform on TV for a couple of months. But that's part of what makes it fun. When yeah. you get to the bottom and you pull it off, you go, whoa, yeah, how good's that? Yeah, it's mad. You know? is, this a, is this a common theme you find? I know you've done work with, like, you know, the corporates. So let's talk about corporates for a bit. Because a lot of people that are listening now are probably on their way to work and fall into that corporate community. <laughs> and, and let's face it now. You I know, had a real in... job once, mate. It wasn't much fun. That's right. And I've never heard any good news about it. Everyone I said goes, how's work? Oh, geez, work's killing me at the moment. Yeah, yeah. We'll try to stay away from that yeah 
and the excuse around it too, you know, living here in New South Wales, no daylight savings right now, get up in the morning, it's relatively dark, you get your way through Sydney traffic to get yourself into the office, time you knock off, it's fucking cold, you want to come home and eat bolognese, and it's all over again. So people literally go without fun for three to four months, don't they? Well, yeah, but you've just become a victim to it. I mean, it's, it's yeah. what you make of it. You've got to have all those options there, so when it... When the opportunity comes, you've got to take it with two hands. Yeah. And I think that's part of staying young and paying, staying vibrant and staying excited, you know. Mm. As a trainer, we were talking before, I've been in the industry for 25 years now. I started when I was 17. And, and still now I'm frothing like a kid to get to training because yeah. there's always something new. I'm always trying something new. I've got to, you know, in any one week, I'd train with four or five different trainers myself. Because yep. I've got one that's training me in kettlebells. I've got a technique coach for boxing. I've yep. got a, a strength and conditioning coach that I go with who knows more than I do, you know. Yep. So I'm always learning and always trying to fill my, my body with excitement from learning something new, then putting it together and being able to pull it off and do it myself. Let, let's, let's talk about that for a tick, all right? Let's talk about the average punter, you know, grabs a membership to the gym, goes off to the gym, walks in, you know, what are you doing today? Oh, I don't know yet. I'll work out when I get in there. They spend their time in the dressing room sort of working out that they might go and walk on the treadmill for a bit or they might throw a bit of weights around, whatever. <clears throat> um, and they may do that very successfully. But I want to talk around the mindset because what you're talking about to me now is you're going in with strategy, all right, you're going in with you know a purpose, i.e. being better at kettlebells, being better at boxing, being better at things. And you're also leaving your ego at the door, right, to the point where the trainer is having a trainer to show him what he can do better in his own right. So tell me about mindset. I know it's a big part of who you are and a big part of what people won't know about you. Well, I think uh, absolute humility is the key. Yep. The moment you think you know it all and you're better than someone else, you're out. Yep. The old... The old rooster that crowed the loudest woke up next morning as a feather duster because he got too cocky and everyone knew where he was. <laughs> too cocky, excuse that pun, eh? So that's it. So he woke up as a feather duster the next morning. Once yep. you think you know it all, you cease to exist and you cease to grow. And you're going to become boring and you're going to become stagnant. Mm. And the energy that you're going to be putting out is not going to be beneficial to anyone. How hard has that been for you, Shannon? Because, you know, stardom and, and, and fame, that celebrity status, is not something that a lot of people are overly comfortable with when they get it, right? So how, how do you go um, from being that knockabout, surfing big waves, fucking mental crazy person just between you and I, to, you know, you get the call, you know, you got the casting, you got the show, and then all of a sudden life changes? Yeah, it does, but it doesn't. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you can never fake. We've been on TV now for 10 years. Um, most of the time, Biggest Losers have, have averaged a million viewers a night. Mm. Um, and it's on for three months. It's a lot of people that you, you have access to and have access to me. Um, and people watch what I put in my trolley and people watch what beer I'm drinking and people yeah. come up and go, mate, you met me once at this thing. Can you remember who I am? And I, you can imagine how many people I think. But you can yeah. never fake that. I'm genuinely lucky that that's who I am. Yeah. If anyone comes up to me in the street, I'm guaranteed to say, how are you going, mate? What's going on? Yeah. Da, 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 because it, it's, that's just lucky that it's part of my character and who I am. It's your personality. Um, at the same time, I don't actively seek fame. Mm. You'll notice, and, and, the, and your listeners will notice too, that um, my family or I never, ever appear in magazines. We're never, ever in gossip pages. We're never in any of that type of stuff. Uh, I've got the Golden Triangle, I call it here on the northern beaches of Sydney. I go from DY Pub, <laughs> to Harbord Hilton, to Manly Wharf Bar, and that's our golden triangle. Yeah. Uh, let me guarantee you, there's never paparazzi there. There's yep. never anyone there to photograph me playing with my kids and that sort of stuff because I don't need it. Yeah. We, we actively decided to take ourselves out 
of that sort of media. And at the time, you know, I was discussed with my wife, um, it, we're probably going to take a hit in the hip pocket for not being so topical. Mm. You know, we're not in the Sunday paper. We're not in Who magazine. We're not in the best sexy couple or whatever it is. And it's probably going to make us a little bit less bankable for mm. sponsors. Yeah. But, mate, in all honesty, the exact opposite happened. Taking ourselves out of those social pages and out of the media created a much stronger authenticity in my brand. Yeah. And sponsors loved it. Yeah. And the, the more we took ourselves out of the, the spotlight, the more sponsors came on board yeah. who were sponsors that I had a genuine affinity with. Mm. So that's the other thing. You, know, you had asked before about sponsors. Mate, I've probably got about 14 different sponsors. I've got a sponsor for just about everything. Yeah. But it's real. You know, you look in my cupboard, there's Nature's Way vitamins right across the top, and that's what my family and I take. You go and look in the cupboard upstairs, there's 15 pairs of ASIC shoes. There's G-Shock watches, there's live um, um, Spy Sunnies, there's everything that, that, that is real, you know what I mean? So I've never, ever um, put my name to something that I didn't believe in. Yeah. The second year of Biggest Loser, Domino's Pizza came on as a sponsor. I put my name to Domino's Pizza. Because guess what? You like Here's it? Here's a shock. <laughs> I eat pizza, everyone. Yes. But it was a good pizza. It yeah. was 60% carb reduced. Yeah. It was 97% fat free and 24, 24% protein. Yeah. How could you not put Ticked your name your boxes, to that? Yeah. Mate, that's it. what I eat. If I'm, my mates are going out to eat pizza after the footy, I want the healthiest option that's there. Yeah. And just as another note, just so everybody knows, I'm not the holier than thou, organic, vegan tree climbing trainer yep. i want to do everything naughty in yep. life that there is yep. with the least possible damage to my performance at, at training and in as an athlete Mate, so right. i want nutrisweet i want beer yeah. i want all those things that i can cut the corner with to get a full life without impacting adversely impacting on my performance what's a full life Mate, enjoying all life's pleasures, whatever's there. Yeah. You know, for me, it's enjoying a, a meal with my family, not worrying if, if there's, there's some chips on the plate or something like that, or um, not worrying if I stop at 10 or 12 beers because, you know, someone said it's always it's the 10th beer that gets you. I want to go out and enjoy my <laughs> beer. And then, but the thing is, I'll wake up with the world's worst hangover. Yeah. And yep. I've done it before. I've gone straight from a party, straight from a party to the city to surf. Run 14 k's. Oh, that's rough. And gone straight back to the party. Really, 100 percent, hand and heart. But that's that mental constitution that I've got. You know, I believe you play, you pay. I'll always go to training with a hangover, and not get there and second guess myself and go, "Oh, mate, I've got a bit of a hangover. I've got to take it easy." Mate, what are we drinking vital greens for? I've got here. They're super greens. Hang on, that's nature's way super greens. Sorry, yeah, sorry, nature's way. Right, mate. Yeah, please. We should be drinking uh, James Squire or something, mate, by the sound of things. I don't want to be. <laughs> it's not 12 o'clock yet, mate. No, but it's, it's nearly. <laughs> if we go for another 45, you're in trouble. We're all good, yeah. So tell us, um, tell us a bit about life, mate. I, I want to know, you know, pre-Biggest Loser and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, word has it you were a carpenter at some point. Yeah, I was, mate. <laughs> Take us back to then. It was never too cold to get your shirt off, too, let me tell you. <laughs> Six degrees, I'm up on the roof with no shirt. That was before skin cancer. Sorry, I had yeah. 15 plus on. Um, Mate, I, uh, I was a carpenter by trade, but all my life wanted to be a uh, professional footballer. And at, at 15, I was signed with North Sydney Bears yep. uh, as a footballer. At 17, I had my first shoulder dislocation. Um, at 17 and a half, I had my first shoulder reconstruction. Yep. At 19, I had my second shoulder reconstruction. At 20, I had a full knee reconstruction. There goes that. 
So that's quite a funny story too. So my whole life, as I knew it, was, t- was torn away from me. Mm. It was the greatest travesty life could have served to me was taking football away. It's all I'd ever wanted. Now, I did have limited natural ability, but I realised at a very young age that by being ultra strong and ultra fit... You could cheat that to some degree. You could cheat the (laughs) shit out of natural ability. I'd hate to have some of that because that'll make you lazy. It was far better for me to graft away and do the hard yards, and I think that's what put the training ethic into me. So at 17... Well, I could no longer play football that year. I was signed to the club and they said, well, listen, how do you feel about becoming a trainer? And I said, well, it's the only thing I know. All my mates and all my circle of friends were in football. If I'd have been taken away from that, I would have been lost. I don't know what I would have done. Yep. So to stay connected to football, I'd started as a trainer. 25 years down the track, I look back and go, that greatest travesty that life served to me... Was the greatest natural progression. Was the best blessing yeah. that I could have ever got. Yep. So whoever's controlled, I don't know, mate, I'm not religious. I don't know if there's God, Allah, Buddha. I don't know who's up there. Mm. I don't really want to choose one because if I choose the wrong one, I'll be <laughs> pissing the right one off. So if I chose Buddha and it's God, he'll be getting the shits every time I went to church. So I just stay neutral and just believe in life force, you know. So life force, spirituality, are you connected to something like that? Mate, I just believe in, in the greater good. I'm, I believe in science the same as you do. So I think everybody who believes in karma has got their, their facts wrong. Because unfortunately, if you believe in karma, you're forced or you're deemed to live your life in the past. Yeah. So whatever's happened in the past defines your future. Yes. So whatever you've done will drag you back. I believe in science and no one can doubt science. Our earliest or our first two rules of science are what goes up must come down. So that's take that into anything you do. Yep. You're taking drugs, you're going up and you're coming down. Yep. You cheat the system. You're coming down. You go to the top of your game as biggest loser, there's going to be down. So you're coming down. It's just life. So Mm. learn to accept it. Mm. Don't live in the past. And the other thing that we know is, as one of the other laws of science, I don't know if it's two or three, is everything has an equal and opposite reaction. So you screw someone, you lie, you cheat, it's coming back. And it's not karma. It's science. (laughs) It's life. This is is how this, this is where we live. It's physics. We all know it. You lie, you cheat, you steal, it's coming back. You do something with improper motives or with intent or malice, it's coming back. If you do things with a pure and open heart and a a pure and open mind and a good heart, you'll be rewarded. Yeah, I like it. So I don't, I I don't believe in religion. I just, and it's not, I'm not anti anything. Anything that's, anything that becomes a religion or anything that becomes this is the only way. I sort of steer away from because it becomes almost a religion to me. You know. Mm. Tell us about the day um, you got that call about Biggest Loser. I know people will want to hear about that. So we had auditions. They went for about three months. How did you hear about it first? Go right well, back to the beginning. You're um, a trainer in a gym. Yeah, someone yeah, says to you. We'd already sort of both, um, Michelle and I, had, had respectively made our ways to the top of the fitness industry per se in Australia. We are both instructor trainers. We are both working. And you knew Michelle on, before working, the show? Yeah, yeah. Yep. We are both working on for Les Mills. We're both instructor trainers. We're both presenting at conventions, writing programs, designing courses and stuff in the bigger scheme. So, um, and in that time, becoming a trainer after football, I wanted to be a fitness professional. And back then, becoming a trainer was totally different than it is now. Mum and dad didn't give you 12 and a half grand and you duck off down to your 
to the local recognised training organisation and you give them your 12 and a half grand and you work out with a certificate six weeks later and go, right, I'm ready to be a trainer and not actually know anything. Yeah. To become a That's trainer... That's isn't it? It's, we'll it's we'll talk about that in a minute because yeah, I, I love hearing you say that because I've, I've got problems with the, with the industries. They're, they're bringing people out that aren't skilled um, per se that are passionate. They're all passionate. I'll give skilled. them that, but not skilled appropriately. Let's talk Same about that quickly. Day, we get a job in a gym. Yep. Mate, can I come and work in this gym? Show us what you know, Shannon. Bang, beautiful. You learn reception at the front. You learn how to sell memberships. Then you learn how to do the gym floor. You walk around with another trainer. They watch what they're doing. There was no personal training back in this time. Then someone, one of the other instructors, would go, right, we're going to learn to teach a circuit. So you'd learn the first little five minutes of a circuit with the other instructor, they take you under your, their wing. Once you could learn to teach a circuit, you could have your own class. Someone would monitor Good, you can do that. We learned gym maintenance. We learned how to pull the exercise bikes apart and put them back together. Once you got good at all those things, they'd say, right, you're ready for a step up. It's time to start to learn to teach aerobics. Mm. So you'd learn an aerobics workout for five minutes. You'd practice that for six or seven weeks, get good at that. Then you could take the first aerobics warm-up and a block in the aerobics class. Once you got good at that, you'd be given your own class in a shitty time slot at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon or something like that. Yep. And the thing was, over the first 12 months, and it was a 12-month gig, I learned to do everything in the gym. And, mate, when I came off the football field, I was dreadful, dreadful, uncoordinated, as you can imagine. I had a girlfriend at the time that was an aerobics instructor, and it took her six weeks to teach me to click my fingers on the beat of music. <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't hear it. I just couldn't. I was honky. Yeah. Poor white man, mate. No rhythm, you know? Yeah. But I learnt the rhythm. And then once I learnt to click my fingers on the beat, then I learnt to hear the phrasing, six, seven, eight, one, two, and put the moves to the music. And I had two left feet. And people just used to piss themselves laughing at me in the back of the class. So I'd stand in the back and I'd go, I've got to do this. Because if I wanted to be a fitness professional then, you had two choices. You could be an aerobics instructor for $35 an hour. Mm. Or you could be on the gym floor for thirteen fifty an hour. Yep. So the the, it was easy, <laughs> the choice, and there was no PT. Yeah. So I learned to teach everything, and now, you know, going back to the question of how we got onto the show, we had the skill set to do anything, no matter what they came to me on the Biggest Loser and asked, can you do this? The answer would have been yes. I can teach spin. I can teach aerobics. I can teach boxing. I can teach martial arts. I can teach circuit. I can teach step. Whatever it is, pump anything so no matter what they could have come to us with we could do and yep. i've always prided myself on that as a fitness professional to be able to do everything that there is you know so many of these kids are coming through now and they've done their personal training course and they make a great personal trainer but it's not enough yeah if you're going to be a fitness professional you should be able to do everything and have an understanding of of everything that's available to you and your clients. Mm, I like it. The thing I like about that too, you know, not just the fact that it's an ascending scale which makes sense. It reminds me a lot of nursing to be honest with you. Like nurses back in the day were all trained on the ground, you know, and all your nurses now that are, you know, I don't know, probably 50 plus 60 plus are all the ones that were, you know, that, that they weren't, you know, like registered nurses with a four-year degree. These people were fucking sweating on, mm. on, on the floor. You know, these were the ones that you righted that knew, you know, the logistics. They, they knew about, you know, the bedpans. They knew about this. And they just learnt it on the job. Well, the case study was based on the 500 people that they'd treated and the best possible exactly. response that they'd got out of 500 people. So That's give right. me that any day rather than a, yeah. a piece of paper that says this is the way to do it. Yep, yep, absolutely. So, um... Give us a bit of an idea, then you talk about, you know, Les Mills, you talk about, you know, spin class, you talk about, you know, train on the floor, then you talk about now boxing and kettlebells. 
movement has is evolved a lot, right? Obviously, it's a it's a um, what's a, a, what's a, new is what's what's old is new again, bud. Uh, always, isn't it? All and comes thank around. God for CrossFit because they've invented power cleans, they've invented chin ups, yeah. they've invented Russian strength modality. Yeah, no, all the old stuff that was there no, beforehand. They've, they've just given just, a name they've to. They've given it a, an amazing subculture that people think this is the go. It's just taken. Russian strength training from the 1950s and, yep. and Tudor bumper models and that sort of stuff from yep. the amazing Russian strength coaches and put it, put it, made it new again. You know, in the, yep. in the 80s and 90s, gyms were spending millions of dollars to put machines in the gym that was taking hard out of hard work. Yeah. We, have, we, had, <laughs> um, we had variable cams and pin-loaded machines and hydraulics and resistance and, yep. and air compressors and all sorts of things, and the floor was filled with these machines. It just was trying to take the hard work out of, out of training, and it was unfortunately causing more problems than it was worth because people were coming up with horrific muscle imbalances and, and, um, you know, and sticking points and tendonitis and stuff like that from, from improper training techniques. Yep, yep. Whereas what's, what's current again now is back to where we should have been. It's back to functional, effective, efficient movement patterns mm. to deliver results for complete wellness, which yeah. is much more important than having, a, in my mind, than having an amazing six-pack. Yeah, absolutely. And what's, what's your personal philosophy around food, Shannon? Around food? Now, don't food's don't a say dominoes. There's so, much, <laughs> mate, there's so much passion and there's so much... <sighs> Not hype, but... Or confliction. Well, confliction, there's so much passion. If people almost preach you, I'm on five and two, and five and two is the way. If you do five and two, you're going to, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a Dukin, and if a Dukin's amazing, and I'm a, an Isogenics, or I'm, you know, you know a Paleo. Don't, yeah. And I've put on my, on my Facebook page before, um, Paleo or not to Paleo, simply. Yeah. And that was, a, how dare you come out and say Paleo's wrong? Yeah. I didn't say paleo is wrong. I'm just questioning: is yes. it right or wrong? Yep. But people want have so much emotion. It's just, just emotion that's <laughs> attached to food. Yeah, and it's really simple. I think paleo, in essence, is a great diet. Yeah, I think it's cool, but I think there's room for grains in there. I yep. think you do need grains. I believe in grains, unless you've got a problem uh, as a celiac or as as gluten intolerance or something like that. Yep. And not a self-diagnosed doctor Google diagnosis of, oh, yes, my girlfriend at work's waiting up with a bloated tummy and she's a celiac, so therefore I must have it. Yes. I mean, a proper diagnosis. Yep. Because we've got to get away from this Dr. Google. It's killing us. It is, isn't it? So the idea of of paleo is very good. Food more raw, less... less, um, inflammatory markers, so yeah. so less food containing sugars and that sort of stuff. Um, the closer it came to the ground, the better it is for you. Yep. But then it's like paleo went, whoa, too far. To stay current, they had to keep tweaking it. So whoever's cr- controlling the paleo thing, they had to go, right, now you need activated almonds and you need <laughs> wild-caught barramundi and you need grass-fed beef and stuff. Yep. It's like, where do I get that from? Yeah. Are you for real? Yeah. So in essence, the ideology behind it's great. But the subculture, in my mind, has taken it too far. And as I said before, it's become almost a little bit like a religion. Mm. So I believe that every human body is basically the same. We operate here at 36.5 degrees. Mm-hmm. Maybe 36.6, maybe 36.7. You go to 37 degrees, you've got a fever. You're 37.5, you're sick, bruh. That's one degree. If I turn our air conditioning up now at one degree, would you ever feel it? If I jumped on a plane and flew to England now and asked the people there what, what uh, temperature you're operating at, 36.5. If we flew to Zanzibar, 
ask the people there, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. Or da, da, da. This is, our bodies have got our chemistry down to a fine art and our self-maintenance, those autonomous skills, mm-hmm. breathing, temperature, control, all that sort of stuff is set and it's nature. You know what I mean? We're all the same. And people go, oh, no, but I want to be different. People want to, you know, I'm on the type 2 blood diet. Or I'm on the, Come on, man. Yeah. You've seen what the Australian, it's a little bit of a macabre example, but I think it's very um, practical and very pr- um, pronounced. The Australian prisoners of war at the end of World War II that came off the Burma Thai Railway that had been prisoners of the Japanese, what did they all look like? Emaciated. Absolutely emaciated. There's not one bloke. They're going, hey, mate, can I have a little bit less rice that I can't shake this last couple of kilos off my guts? <laughs> hey, sorry, listen, mate, Japanese uh, code Tojo, Tojo, yeah, um, mate, I just can't shift this up. My ass is still big. Yeah. You know? Does this yeah. loincloth make my ass look big? You're saying no. perspective has been lost. The perspective and our idea of moderation yeah. is absolutely screwed. You ask your parents or your grandparents what a treat was. Well, you know, what's a treat for us, mate? We're 42. We still A treat for me was going to my grandparents once a week and having fish and chips. Yeah. Once a week. Or you get an ice cream at the beach on a Sunday with your folks. Yeah. Our idea of moderation now is I'm not having one every meal. I'm having just one at night. Yep. Once a night. My idea of I'm, what I'm doing, I'm doing everything in moderation. What a shitty way to live. Mm. If you do everything in moderation, you're going to have a moderate life. You're going to go through your life like Emmett in the Lego movie. Mm. Never thinking out, you're going to wear beige, you're never going to think everything because it's moderate. You know, I believe in doing everything to excess. Yeah. It's still a perfect balance. You just fit a shitload more on the scales. <laughs> so if I drink twice as much beer, I'm going to train twice as much. If I eat twice as much bad food, I'm going to train twice as much to make up for it. Yeah, yeah. And I get to experience the highs and lows, not the beige flat, you know. Yep. It's still okay in our life to experience highs and lows. It's okay to fail. Because that failure adds strength and adds characters. And when the highs are good, they feel much better. Yeah. I don't want to go through life dosed up on antidepressants to stay moderate because they, everyone thinks it's good for you. Yep. you know, and that's in no way detracting or raining down and being politically correct here on people with depression because it's serious shit. And yep. the amount of times I've had to deal with it, it should never be sneezed at. It should never be mucked around with. But... The ideology behind it is let's be moderate in yep. everything we do. And when, you say, moder- and when you say moderate too, it's about the need to stay controlled. Yeah, well, that's moderation. Yeah. Heaven, heaven forbid, as an adult, we'd be challenged and step out of our comfort zone and not feel comfortable in a situation yep. where we had to resort back to our primal instincts and to our, our, our um, metal as a person and to our, um, our being and our strength to get us through to our character. Imagine having to develop a strong character. <laughs> so when the shit hit the fan, you'd still be standing there and going, right, I'm ready for the next one. Yep. Try and knock me down. So how many of people's problems do you believe, you know, chronic problems, are just typed in with their own um, personality and constitution that needs to change on levels, you know, that far outweigh that of diet and movement? It is. Like it, you talk about it's character, in, right? It's you ingrained into us and it's ingrained. And unfortunately, people want a diagnosis to excuse where they are and what they like, what they believe in that moment. So the amount of times that I'm walking down the street or I'm in the shopping centre and someone comes up to me and goes, Shannon, is it true that it's hard to lose weight if you've got polycystic ovary syndrome and you're postmenopausal woman? Mm-hmm. Pause. Let me guess, love. You're a postmenopausal woman with polycystic <laughs> ovaries. Just play. 
Listen, it is true, Dale, but what you've got to do is you've got to rectify your diet, 1,200 calories a day, exercise six days a week for 40 minutes at, at moderate to high intensity, yeah. and it will help your PCOS burn off the extra, extra testosterone, and it will definitely help your state of mind, and it will also help your hormones come back into a regulatory fashion to, to help offset your um, menopause. Plus, we're going to have a really good dig at preventing osteoporosis. Yeah. Oh, no, but didn't you hear me? I've got PCOS and, I've, and I'm postmenopausal. What you've got to do is you've got to train. They yep. don't want to hear the solution. They just want to give you the problem. Oh, no, Dale, stay there. 165 kilos suits you down to the ground. You don't need to change at all because you've got PCOS and you're postmenopausal. Just keep going. Yeah. You'll be 170 by Christmas. So you're saying effectively people sit behind excuses. A diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, a diagnosis. They, they want a diagnosis to excuse how they appear in that minute. And in conversation, they're going to let you know hmm. straight away. Oh, you know, um, I'd like to shake a couple of these kilos, but yeah, I'm a bit stressed. <laughs> what the f- are you stressed about? Yeah. Have you seen what the families look like in the 1930s depression? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen them? You reckon they weren't a little bit more stressed than you? Um. Guess what? None of them were fat. Not one. Because they didn't eat too much and they worked hard every day. So how are you dealing with these people? Are you giving them this, you know, nice little, um, you know, uh, reality check and forcing the mindset change them going, oh, yeah, I get what he's talking about? Because obviously that can be offensive to some people, right? Yeah, but I think we've we've got to steer away from, oh, my God, imagine we offended someone. Yeah. Because some people need to be offended. (laughs) You need a home truth. Yeah. And I don't want to perpetuate that behaviour that people and and allied health professionals and pure health professionals are carrying on. You go to a doctor at 165 kilos and go, doctor, I've tried everything, I just can't lose weight, which is bullshit to start. Mm. We've had over 200 people through The Biggest Loser, the worst cases in Australia of obesity, and not one of them has failed to lose weight in the time that they've been on the show. Every single person that's come onto that show has lost a considerable amount of weight Mm -hmm. on the time they're on there. So then everybody goes, well, how many people keep the weight off? It's got nothing to do with the calibre of the show or our methods. No, of course not. It's to do with the the psychology that we're working with. And they also go back to an old lifestyle where that's not applied, correct? And some of of those people, Shane, we have for one week. Yeah. I have them for seven days. Some people have for 14 days. Some people have for 21 days. Yeah. Of course people are going to revert. Yeah, Yeah, of course. People go to AA or NA for 20 years to beat grog. And go, well, how many of them go back? People don't do it. What we want to focus on is the success stories that we've had, like, like Fireman Sam, who's still got a six-pack now, 10 years down the track. Yeah. We, there would be, there'd be 30 of the 70 whose lives have been saved. If we lost 70, well, mate, I was never going to be able to save them because they were always going to go back. They were addicts. Mm. They were addicts. Mm. And not me, not a psychologist or anyone was going to be able to change that because I was so in love with the gluttonous lifestyle with no, that was lived with no recourse that they couldn't come back from it. Tell us about, um, and this is getting away from obesity and the show and all that sort of stuff. You and I spoke on the phone last week and um, you know, our conversation was flowing very nicely. As, as, you'd, as you'd know, we, we, we get to a point of a conversation that I didn't necessarily expect to get to and that's the M word, that of manifestation. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts on manifestation because, you know... We're, Fuck, we're... I thought you were going to say Michelle then. Goodness me, thanks. <laughs> no, we won't, we won't go there. But we're talking about manifestation and mindset and, and, you know, and what one is capable of drawing into one's world. Give us your views on that. 
mate, it's without a doubt. And it, it sounds, you know, all Anthony Robbins and turn to the person next to you and give him a massage and say, you're awesome, and look back at that other person and say, you're awesome. But it's not. It's, it, it, you manifest your destiny mm. to a point. There's shit going to happen. If you wake up and you've got a diagnosis with cancer, you go, mate, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. Guess what? Some shit sticks, you got it. Yeah. But there's other, other things in life. And I'll give you an example yesterday that, that just popped up. I went into my spin class. I was teaching a spin class and I said to the class, right, is there any new people? And there was no new people. And um, I put the speaker on and then my iPhone fell off the, the speaker, smashed onto the ground, uh, didn't smash the screen or anything, but pulled it out. So I had to reset it and everything. I said, sorry, guys, I've got to reset the music. They're all ready to get into it. So I put that in. Then someone came in and said, oh, I'm new. So I got off my stage and went down and set them up. So they got set up. Then I was walking back and a lady dropped her water. This is a true story. Dropped her water bottle. So I picked that up and put it back on. Jumped onto my bike and the foot strap was missing. And I thought to myself, shit, it's going to be one of those classes. But then I thought of our conversation and I thought about manifestation. And I thought I can either be a victim to what's happened at the start of this class or I can change it. And I can use the emotion that I've got now and the tension and, and the, all, the frustration I'm feeling and turn that into something positive. Yes. Because there's two schools of thought. From then on, I could have gone into that class and gone, oh, this is shit. And I knew. I knew it was going to be like this. Yep. I knew I was going to have a bad day, but it was only going to be a bad day because I manifested it. Yep. And you don't want to be that, that cocky bloke that goes, oh, mate, I knew today was going to be a, good, a bad day. Well done, champ. You knew it was going to be a bad day, so you facilitated that bad day to continue and happen. Yeah. At no stage could you stop and address it and change the slide. So at the start of my class, I went, right, I'm going to go twice as hard today. I'm going to go twice as hard. And I'm going to make this the best class. I'm going to push myself harder. I'm going to make sure. Mate, and we smoked. So there's the intention the switch, right? That was the intention switch. Yep. Taking off the victim hat, and putting myself into a controlled situation. Yep. And I think it's, you know, people almost want to be that person and go, oh, I told you today it was going to be a bad day. Because, hmm. oh, like, you're holier than now. Well done, mate. Reminds me of the quote, whether you think you can or think, think you, you can't, can. either way, you're right. You're you probably know? right, yeah. 100%. And it's just having the nous and having the, the foresight and, the, and the, you know, the, the characters of a survival, a survivist, someone who survives, you know, is, is you've got to um, accept where you are, realize what's going on and then act and the action is a thing that takes most of us out it's perceive believe act yeah so perceive what's going on things are going to the shit here we've got to believe it's going how the hell do i get out of it and then make a change yep and i've you know i've been before to um i've got a rule that i won't ever go to do something that i don't want to do if someone goes well mate can you train me i'd rather tell them the truth and go listen i really can't train you today than feel obliged to uh, and i was doing a boot camp in bali and had two girls that the day the boot camp had finished they said mate listen, can we do a session tomorrow and i s- said oh no you know i've got to see my mates and then they said oh we saw you down the beach have you got time and they sort of crunched me and i went shit i don't want to be doing this I said oh yeah i'll see you in the gym in 10 minutes it was my day off after f- seven days of hardcore training and, and one-on-one work. It was just so emotionally draining. Yeah. So I'm going to this session going, shit, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to be here. And I went in and then the timer went wrong and the girls tripped over and one of them hurt themselves. And I had to actually stop and say, girls, I'm so sorry. I know you just tripped over and hurt yourself, but I created that. Hmm. 
I created that because of my negative mindset. And I know it sounds all a bit weird, and I'm the last bloke to be a conspiracy theorist or, or out there to the left. I'm 100% logical, yep. mathematical, science, analytic. But bloke. you were setting up things that would occur in your moment uh-huh. that would reaffirm your position that I don't want to fucking be here and that's all there is to and, it. And it was. Yep. And it was me projecting and manifesting that and unfortunately she suffered for it. Yeah. And I had to say, stop, girls. Let's just start this session again. Now I'm here. I really want to make a difference because I'm embarrassed about what happened. And I actually told them. These were students of mine. I had to say, listen, I created what's happened here. Mm. So I had to live, I had to live my, my life. Take responsibility you know? yeah. for it. As, as an example. It's and I never want to be too, too, too um, cocky or too um, egotistical to tell them that I've made a mistake. You're a man that lives by rules though, right? 100%. That's essentially what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, rules, the fact that, you know, you are in control of you. Um, you know, you create your own outcome. You know, you create good intentions. You have fun in your life. And then the rest of it all sort of just seems to fall into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He asked me before, you know, what, once Biggest Loser's gone, what, what do you plan to do? And the answer is, I've never ever been one to plan. Mm. What I've always can I, can I answer? Can I answer what you told me though, just for our listeners? This yeah. is this is off air, everyone. I said, um, you know, Shannon told me about you know that uh, we're about casting for Biggest Loser, and you know, there's some things happening around there, and uh, you know, um, things might not move forward. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said to me, go back on the tools. Now, he wasn't talking about those carpentry tools. He was talking about getting back in the gym and just training people, right? Because mm. you do what you love. Yeah, 100%. Yep. And I think that shows. 100%. You know, which, which is an awesome thing. And I'll be just back down the road here at any time fitness down the road and working as a PT yeah. and teaching classes, you know, and I couldn't be happier. Yep. I, um, I believe in, in living in the moment. And for that, I believe I'm just must do the best with the hand that I've got in yeah. that moment. And your relationship with Anytime Fitness, I just want to get back to your rules around partners and things. You know, I, um, I've got good mates at Anytime and I'm travelling the country, as you know, and I train exclusively in Anytime gyms and I find them awesome. Um, you know, did you partner up with these guys <laughs> because it was a, a simple movement because you train there this, anyway? And, and I must tell you, listeners, this is not a bullshit plied question. This is 100% truthful uh, as it happened, I won't use the word organic because I believe that means put you in a dark room and feed you shit. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's, it's truthfully how it happened and, and I haven't given Shannon a heads up on this. Um, um, there was a bloke, I was catching the ferry into the city one day from Manly, which is, we're in Sydney in the northern beaches and we catch the ferry into the city. Yeah. Uh, and there was two blokes down at the front of Manly Ferry Wharf handing out um, flyers that just opened any time fitness at Manly. And this bloke, I just started chatting to him. He's a good bloke. He goes, oh, Shannon, you know, biggest loser. How's it going? Da, 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 da. He goes, mate, will you come to the opening? And will you open this gym for us? Uh, and I said, yeah, I will. So I went home and told my wife, I'm going to go and open this gym for these blokes on, sun, on, on Sunday. Um, and she goes, how much are you getting paid? And, you know, something like that, it's usually pretty handy in the yeah, pocket for me. It's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's quite a, a, um, a lucrative business doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I said, no, nothing. It just seemed like a real good bloke. So I thought I'd just go down and open the gym for him. <laughs> Um, he'll probably give me a membership, but that, you know, that's beside the point. He just seemed like a real good bloke, so I thought I'd go down and, and open it up. She said, you're an idiot. What do you do that for? It's, you know, it's probably worth five and a half grand to you normally to go and do something like that. Yeah. I just didn't worry me, so I went down and did it, and it just so happened that in the gym that day, the owner of any time was there, and I got talking, and she said, what are you doing down here? I said, I've come to open the gym. And um, she said, what are you paying? I said, no, you're not paying me. They just seem like really good blokes, really positive and just sort of down the line. I bet you that staff are going to fucking pay raise that day. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she was there and I connected with her as the owner and she said, we want this bloke as as an ambassador. Yeah. So I've been with them for five years now. Yep. 
So you can't imagine the difference from a five-year ambassadorship to a one-off $5,500 fee. That's right. Because it was done for the right reason. And the same as, you know, we're talking about, you know, you said thanks for giving up your time um, for this podcast. Obviously, there's no money's changed hands, but we've just got a crew of good mates who's gone, mate, he's a good bloke, he's a good bloke. Let's get onto it and do it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not about that. We, we spoke about... You know, not being religious, but I also believe in, in energy and reverberation and that, that likes and positive energy attract. And just it's too, it's too common that I bounce into these places and end up surrounded by people who go, mate, I can help you here and I can do this for you, I can do that for you. Yeah. Without soliciting or for anything, it just happens. Yep. So I think the more positive you are and the more you're putting out that good energy in time. And, and to say positive, it's not just like a good thing. Wake up and going, oh, I'm going to be positive today because the sun's shining and <laughs> the wind's blowing in my back and I'm, it's going to be awesome. Yep. It's in the shit storm when things are down and, you, and you're bummed out on your luck that you can got ultimate opportunity to become bitter and twisted and turn off to life. That, that's when you define yourself and decide I've got to be positive now in a shit storm. Not in a perfect day when your wife's rubbing your back and your kids are playing in the park and yeah. you've got all the food and wine you want to drink. When yeah. the chips are down and you just every part of your being wants to give up, if you can pull yourself together and believe in the greater good of life, you'll be rewarded. Um, I just want to, I haven't spoken to you about this, but um, you had a cancer scare, right? I did. Talk point four, point four of a millimetre, which is the thickness of two pieces of paper, mm. will forever define my life. Mm. Tell us about that. So I was on, on holidays in Bali, and um, as a mate, as a kid, obviously I never ever put cream on. As a builder, I never put cream on. We just had our shirts off all the time. <laughs> uh, but now with kids and that sort of stuff, I've got a little bit more uh, responsibility, a little bit more responsibility. We know the science now that melanoma is a killer. So I was putting cream on and. Always wear board shorts. I've never ever, for you listeners, I've never ever been out surfing in a pair of dick stickers. <laughs> I've never ever worn sluggos at the beach. So I've got my, my boardies on, but I've got them rolled up. Yeah. Uh, and I'm putting the cream on before I go surfing. And my wife goes, what's that on the back of your leg? And I go, nah, it's always been there. It's just a mole. She goes, no, that looks funky. My wife's cancer, no love. scientist or anything. And I go, babe, it's always been there. Don't worry about it. She goes, no, it looks funny. This just made, it's like a, this is one of those moments mm. that we're talking about. You know, someone, I don't know who it was, had their hand under my ass going, mm. mate, you're going to give you one for the team here. Yep. From the beach in Bali, my wife rang my dad. My dad rang his, because he's had a couple of melanomas, his yep. cancer, uh, his um, skin cancer doctor. Yep. Made an appointment. The day I got back, I'm brown as a berry. I'm embarrassed. I walk into this place. He goes, mate, you're tanned. I'm going, <laughs> I've got this little spot here. I'm sure it's nothing. So yeah. they cut it out. Yeah. And when I say cut it out, they cut it out and made a seven and a half centimetre cut. Yep. So that had 10 stitches in it. It's a fair old cut on just underneath your bum cheek. Mm. Got it tested. It was a proper melanoma. Not BCA, not yep. anything else. It was a melanoma. They had to recut it. This time I had a 21 centimetre cut. Jeez. Had 20 staples in it to give the margins around that area that they need to take it out. Mm. They did the biopsy on it. That melanoma was 0.6 of a millimetre into the skin. At one millimetre, you're in all sorts of trouble. Yep. At 0.6 of a millimetre, it's just out of the business. So what happened? They just removed it and that was it? They removed it and that was it. And mate, since then, I have did three monthly checks for two years. Yep. I'm back to six monthly checks. Now it's been five years. Yep. So, that, so all the powers that be think it was just a one-of and it's one of those things. But it really made me realise that ignorance is not bliss. Yep. That, and it's no, I don't want to be a martyr. Please don't anyone out there think Shannon's preaching to us. I just don't want that. If my wife hadn't have seen it, I would never have got it checked. 
Mm. And that thing would have bubbled away. It would have killed me. Mm. And I wouldn't have had my two beautiful kids that I've got now. Or if I did, they wouldn't have had a father. Yeah. So ignorance is not bliss for that type of thing. Need to get checked. And it's not just that cancer now. You know, now I'm doing the bowel screen and that sort of stuff too. I'm 40, as I said, 42. Yeah. When I turned 40, I said to my wife, that's it. Let's go. I've got to go and get all the checks done and get the finger <laughs> in the bum and all that sort of stuff. And I went to the doctor. I said, well, I'm ready uh, for it, doc. I'm 40. She says, we don't have to do that anymore, Shannon. You just have to, a blood w- test. You just have to do a blood test of your, of your levels and you have to scrape your poo with a stick. And send it off. Yeah. So sorry to all you old blokes yeah, out awesome. there. We've got your signs, mate. I might still die a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I love it. I love it. Hey, tell us on a, on a lighter note and completely away from your ass now. Um, what's uh, what pumps you up? You know, like uh, other passions. You know, like what, what are you into? So you said you uh, love surfing, big waves. I uh, still boxing, mate. I still fight um, professionally. Um, believe it or not, much to my wife's behest. So I love yeah. my boxing. Yeah. I love just learning new stuff. I love taking something that someone said you can't do and, and practicing and practicing and practicing and going, I can do it. Yep. There you go. I've got that under me. I love it. I just, I'm still like a little kid and you can see, mate, like the, I just froth off still off training. It. I love training. I love pushing myself and getting pumped and yep. training with the young blokes at the gym, you know, these, all these young kids coming through and that sort of stuff. And I don't want to go and fight masters yet because I find that a little bit condescending that means I'm the best of the old blokes I, yeah. want, I want to be the best of everyone you know I want to be fighting kids still Yeah, I don't want to rest on my laurels just yet it's going yeah. to be a time for it and it's not raining on it but at the moment my mind's still in that place where I want to do the, the real deal hey, cool. I still love my surfing um, I love seeing I love now too obviously at, at 42 mate my athletic performance whether I like it or not is on a downward slide there's no way um, I'm going to be doing the the times and that sort of stuff that I have done for the city to surf when I was 25, 26, 27 because my body's on the way down, you know, and yep. I'm, I'm fighting like hell, but it's just a fact. Yep. Um, I'd get now a mad buzz from taking my clients who have never run a city to surf or something like that and running alongside them at a 70% pace for me and just seeing the buzz that they get at the end and the high that they get from completing an event that they never thought they would have. It's that, it's that next sort of an existential connection you know because it's i'm getting the buzz from them yeah, it's not actually me vicariously through, through them yeah. yeah and i can see i know that feeling and i have the the empathy and the understanding of exactly what that feels like yeah and so they're buzzed and i'm buzzed and i take that it's that that's why i still love teaching my classes and stuff we still mm. love teaching the class I've got 50 60 70 people in the room in front of you just rocking off some old school 80s aerobics you know we're doing great vines and mumbos and cha-chas and spins and stuff and yep. the people nailing it and at the end they go that was great that yep. just gives me still a buzz it's, it's like laughter therapy isn't it too you know people minute you put yourself in a scenario where you're uncomfortable but you can overcome that adversity of that discomfort it gives you a great feeling doesn't yeah, it of course do you know and being able to be 42 and ride a skatey around the block in four and a half minutes is pretty good right most 42 year old blokes can't ride skaties well they don't just they just become a victim to time and a victim to fear yeah you know yeah we know so yeah, I just, I still, mate, I still love training. I love, you know, then I've got my son, my son's on a surfboard and he's surfing at three, I push him on and, and he pops up and, you know, I'm jumping behind him going, yeah, this is the greatest thing we've ever done to see my son surfing and see how happy he is. What a feeling, eh? Yeah. yeah. So it is a lot of, a lot of it now, but I think, you know, as a trainer, I think that it, as you get older, you, you lose that warrior vibe. As a, as a kid, you've got the warrior. Yeah, I want to. Anyone looks at your missus, you're going to punch him in the face. Yeah, and you've got something to prove, your don't you? The ass, you're going to, you know, someone talks to your chick at a, at a bar. It's like, it's time to get your feathers up, you know? Yeah. Whereas now, I thank God, I don't have to do it. Just talk to her, mate, for half an hour. I can 
Talk to the boys. Can you take my wife off my hands for me for a half an hour and just talk to us? I don't have to. Well, you're self-assured though, right? You know, yeah. you're an evolved version well, of yourself. Well, that's it. Because that warrior vibe goes you know, and that insecurity has gone, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think as you... <laughs> I'll talk to your wife for you yeah, half an hour, mate. <laughs> as, you, um, as you go on, you lose that. Yeah. And it, the, the, for me, the ultimate act of a trainer is letting go of your own ego and being able to pass everything that you've got onto another trainer to do the best they can with it. So unfortunately, so many people in the gym, so many trainers have got, they do an exercise and they go, oh, he's copying my exercise. Are oh, you for geez. a real champ? You've yeah. seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's doing that program that I did. Yes. And, they, and they got this, mate, listen, I've got this secret. What we're going to do is we're going to do 10 burpees, 10, and that's the ultimate. Yeah. Guess what, champ? There's no ultimate. And mm. whatever you've done, we've done it before. Yeah. So I never ever want to be a trainer that, that sits on his eggs and hides his, you know, on his little nest and hides what I've got. I want to be able to give what I've got to everyone. Yeah. Mate, here's the diet that took me 10 hours to do. Take it and give it to your clients. It's going to save you 10 hours. Yeah. And, and, and as a trainer, I really want to be able to pass on everything that I've got to younger trainers now so they can make the most of what they've got without having to stub their toes along the way like I did. Yeah, make mistakes. Yeah, exactly. we have to. Um, Favourite music? What are you trained Favorite to? Favourite music, ACDC, Easy Bud. I'm devastated. Nice. Old school old, old school rock. <laughs> Axl Rose singing for ACDC. Yeah, yeah. Is that happening oh, or what? On, he's done it, mate. He's done it? He had a broken foot. He sat on the stage on a throne and oh, sang with a broken me. foot. How'd he do? Oh, horrific. Her, no. Horrific. I saw that and I thought, mate, I love Axl Rose, but he's not singing Akadaka. No, Come on. No, no. That's crazy. So, mate, I do. I love, I love, and it's still stuck in the 80s. I love all my 80s stuff and I've got a real a real um, passion for music, but being involved in, in aerobics and choreography and that sort of stuff for such a long time, for, mm. for 15 years I was writing choreography and music, so we're taking music and, and putting choreography to it, and I find that exciting too, you know, to, yep. to hear a song that not only is a good song, but a song that in my mind can you be can converted to. to a movement. Yeah, that's awesome. So I can hear this bang and go, right, that's definitely a, a fast single or a slow change, rhythm change to go, yeah, that's too, too, slow it down a little bit and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I really love music and, and I've got such a wide, diverse range of stuff right out there from the old Dead Kennedys and that sort of punk, yeah, punk era. Love it. Right through the, through the, through the hard rock sort of ACDC and Angels and Metallica and that. Yep. Through the, the 80s hip-hop and pop, and I love, love Aussie hip-hop, like Hilltop Hoods and yep. uh, old-school rap, like Run DMC and, and Public Enemy and um, NWA. We just watched that movie straight yeah. out of Compton. That was, that was awesome, a watch, wasn't, wasn't it? What a good show. <laughs> what a watch. It was a ripper show. Loose Cats, mate. And what about movies? You got a favourite movie or favourite movies? Braveheart. Or genre? Braveheart. Yeah, Braveheart. What do you like about it? Ah, uh, just everything. It's the triumph. The triumph of the human spirit and the, yep. the resilience of the human body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. Well, I'm going to finish this uh, with a quote, mate, that, uh, that, that, that reminds me of, which is a quote from Seneca, which says that um, one of the best qualities of friendship is basically the, the ability to understand and be understood, you know, and uh, that interconnectedness of people, certainly that I feel with you now, and I know our viewers will feel from hearing with you, um, I want to say thank you for bearing that part of yourself. Pleasure, um, You know, it's not always um, comfortable for people to talk about parts of themselves that uh, aren't perceived within the community, and um, it's been a really, really good um, good time mate i hope you listeners out there have got something from shannon uh he really is a person that what you see is what you get and uh i think you've got some really simple truths there mate i've got a simple i've got a simple um formula to leave them with too a simple quote it's probably the best one i've ever heard for weight loss yeah the harder you work the higher your heart rate the smaller your ass yeah nice can i can i (laughs) 
can I ask you a question on that though? Because yeah. it's, it's pertinent to, to our listeners. Um, how many people with significant weight issues just don't train hard enough? Most. Yeah. I, I'm of the same belief, to be honest with you, yeah. and I'd love to believe otherwise. I really would love to believe otherwise, but I've just observed so many people over the years that train inefficiently mm-hmm. um, and don't get results. Yeah, well, let's take reason. our contestants. So they, they 165, 250 kilos. They come and go, oh, guess what? I've made a walk around the block today. And their friends and their family go, that's awesome, well done, at least you're trying. Because that's where we're at at society. Yeah. Where we're near enough, good enough and having a go. And everybody gets a, everyone gets a blue ribbon if you finish ninth in the running race. Because we all go, that's great, we're all there together. <laughs> so they walk around the block and they go, I'm really trying. I walked 400 metres today. Yes, it's better than nothing, but not much. Yeah. On the first day of The Biggest Loser, we train our contestants for an hour and a half and flog them. Mm. An hour and a half. And flog them. They might, they'd run kilometres in that time and burpees and sit-ups and whatever they can do for an hour and a half. And that's physically what their bodies are capable of. Yep. Physically, they can do it. Mentally and emotionally, cannot. And people always ask, but aren't you afraid they're going to have a heart attack? And the first two or three years, the answer was yes. But the answer <laughs> now is a firm no. No one's dropped dead. So well, that's a good sign. Well, what I've realised, mate, is that there's a fuse. And yeah. the fuse is your mental aptitude and your mental commitment to get through it. Yeah. So way before those big, overweight, overloaded bodies give up, mm. the weak mind the will up. fuse out first. Yeah. So their idea of being out of breath and my idea and your idea of being out of breath is totally different. Mm. So when, uh, those um, organs will give up a long way after the mind will. So I've got some sort of solace in knowing Yep. That, the, that their mind is way weaker than their bodies, even though how overloaded and deconditioned those bodies are. And so are. a lot of the issues, and you believe, are societal in the fact that we set relatively low standards and goals for ourselves. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not necessarily a, a malicious thing. Sometimes it's like no, a... It's a uh, safety thing. It's, yeah, it's a safety thing. So you see one of the, our Biggest Loser contestants, and, and people probably have done it at, at 170, 180 kilos at a party and go, mate, do you want another beer? Just stay there, I'll get it for you. <laughs> which contributes to the problem because you've, in your heart you go, Jesus, it must be hard for that big bike to get up and go and get a beer. I'll help him out and give him a beer, yeah. which you're doing through the goodness of your heart. But it's a little bit condescending and a little bit charitable at the same time because, it, it, it again, it perpetuates that behaviour. Yes. Mate, you're a champion. Thanks for having me in your home. And um, hello, little puppy that's down here. What's the puppy's name, by the way? It's a massive Rottweiler guard dog, by oh, the yeah. way. Oh, yeah. if, you can imagine, if you can imagine me riding down the street with my tattoos and Harley Davidson, and I've got a little white... Little tiny white dog, weighs fluffy, about 600 grams. Fluffy actually. dog, yeah. I like it. No, you're a legend, mate. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time, and I uh, hope everyone um, got something from this interview. Um, Shannon's a good guy, and um, yeah, have a great day. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Caravan Conversations, proudly produced by PSE Supplements. To see more about the podcast, including notes from the episode, please visit caravanconversations.com.